Welcome to the Practice Podcast, conversations probing the nature of practice. I'm your host, Dave Firon. In this episode, Dave and I continue a conversation where I'm doing more listening than normal, <laughs> and he's doing a lot of very important talking uh, about the mind about consciousness, about emotions, about how the brain works as a system of systems. A lot of very, uh, I think, very keen insights that get sort of put together in our conversation, leading to a deepening of both our understanding of social and action, uh, as well as uh, you, the listeners. It's a long conversation, so I'll keep this introduction short. I'm very pleased to have you here, part two of Dave and Dad probing the nature of consciousness, feelings, awareness, and how we keep ourselves going from the inside out. Oh, and there's another idea that I love he talks about, Markov's blanket. Listen for that, Markov's blanket. Okay, here we go. Recently, Dave and I had a conversation where we are still exploring the, the realms of consciousness and emotions and feelings. And uh, he was citing um, a book that he had really dived into, haven't you, Dave, uh, with Mark Soames. What was the name of that book? Just to review a little bit. The hidden, the hidden Spring. The Hidden Spring. Yeah. And uh, you teased us with a few of uh, things that he said, uh, but tonight you also want to bring in a, another uh, book that you're reading and uh, see how, how it all kind of mixes up into a nice thought stew. <laughs> so um, this is part two, so you can pick us up wherever you wish. Yeah, um, actually, it's um, it's goes with it's still mostly based on what Mark Solms wrote up um, with one of the uh, neuroscientists he he worked with and and relied on heavily for part of his uh, theory and proposals about how the brain does consciousness. It deserved us part two because it it um, so that we can highlight the that contributor Carl Friston um, K A R L F R I S T O N. Mm -hmm. And his work, uh, which um, just to briefly summarize where we were with um, Mark Solms, um, we looked at more the neurophysiological model uh, where how the brain does subjective consciousness and and and, and um, uh, how that comes up as part of the overall experience and action that we go through the world with um, mm -hmm. has to do a lot with. Um, affect or emotions, the actual felt feelings Definitely. that he that he says are are uh, associated uh, with uh, almost pretty much essentially with any thought um, and any uh, consciously aware experience. It has to be it has to do with a very small area in the brainstem, um, and its close integration with all the major affect. Um, um, circuitry is essentially and in, in signals um including the neurochemistry but working its way up into uh 
the the rest of the connections of the brain and in particular ways um having to do largely with a, a model of uh, how the brain works based largely on on prediction um and, and prediction and confirmation of prediction and 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 um addressing the world that presents um uh, a novelty that your that past learning has has um try to get ahead of by predicting what will happen next but then having a system of of error signals that that feed back all the way down to the brain stem um <laughs> and not and where in the brain stem and some of the areas in the forebrain are are working on assigning um uh basically a form of probability statistics and prioritization um and you know sorting sorting priorities especially among the core emotions like ones where where um you know immediate danger to life takes precedence over over um uh, other other um things like hunger and what i wanted to get into a little bit more tonight is the more the systems dynamics um and, and even the even into the mathematics behind Solm's work and in in general uh, where this area of neural um biology neuropsychology is coming from hmm. um and uh oddly uh it it also ties into um another topic that we did a whole episode on and only later on to find where it's gone 30 years later after i started reading it um where we talked in episode 162 about um self-organization system dynamics and the yes. work of Ily Ilya Prigogine in, in the late 70s and uh 70s and 80s um mm -hmm. on looking at how any living system is exists by virtue of uh its own actions to keep its parts together basically in in relation to uh the perturbations that the world presents that might otherwise um destroy it yeah you know a brief summary of that idea is is that for for any any living system once you have something that has that is able to sustain itself through these perturbations um the arrangements of, of the parts that are sustaining themselves become something that you can look at it as as a whole as you know certainly when you're looking at an organism Mm -hmm. um it's very clear but but even when you're looking at the system dynamics themselves that those self-organizing functions can let you think about something like how the brain fires and the patterns of brain firing themselves being self-organizing in a way yeah um uh and how they're sustained um and uh there's lots of interesting mathematics that go along with it a lot of um especially which have developed over the years especially with the interest in computational uh psychology and and cognition and trying to both model the brain computationally but also get artificial intelligence to work and things like that wow. um you know the way that 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 siri is able to understand what we say to our iphones um yeah she's pretty smart yeah it. it's 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 um it's not like it's not like human speech but there's a lot of raw computation that is that is doing things that that aspects that that 
are at least similar to, to how the brain puts things together, but largely unconsciously. Yeah. Um, you know, assembling the the parts and sounds and in, into words. So where I, I think I mentioned uh a few asked, I think I reiterated a little bit about self-organizing systems. Um, one of the one of the features that's important is um, its relation to novelty um, and uh, entropy. So you can think of any system requiring, in, the, in order to sustain itself through change, uh, requires energy. Yeah, um, you know, an organism having food is a is an obvious example of that, but then they also have to remove waste, um, which which you can, which uh, Priyajin referred to as as dissipation of of entropy, um, and in a cycle that basically keeps the system far from equilibrium, which is which is a key thing. We're we're talking about dynamic systems that are not like um, you know pendulums that will friction will work them their way down to stop moving. Right. rocks and things they don't have much dynamic energy but living things really have to keep that metabolism going mm -hmm. um and it's by virtue of being far from those equilibrium points and some of the unique organizational physical phenomena that take that 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 start to come into play when you do that that lets you think about the even the the, the mathematics and the physics of living systems in in a different way than 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 one would about um, like a computer program that where you're just giving it commands right. and the code executes the commands almost in that stimulus response model or you know old style ways of thinking of the brains as stimulus and response where the the outside is impinging sensory impressions upon the brain there's a bunch of representations inside the brain of 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 reflex like responses which elaborate more in human brains just because they have more cortex. Um, but, you know, when we talked about Mark Solms, we, we looked at even for very um, animals with very primitive early nervous systems that some of these core um, functions of emotion did, did very particular things that, that um, aren't simple, you know, stimulus and response. You have something that could legitimately, legitimately, be thought of as having a, a form of self or subjectivity, mm -hmm. um, a a form of um, distinction of you know self not self self from the world, um, mm -hmm. and then ways of interacting with with other uh, organisms that are not just simply bumping into them, but having some more of that almost communicative aspect to it by virtue of of being you know two self-organizing entities adjusting to each other rather than simply um, reacting directly. Mm -hmm. um, so where we can start bringing in Carl Friston is um, looking a little bit more closely at what we mean by entropy. Carl Friston is um, a, a neuroscientist um, who, out of Britain, um, he's. I think he's currently at University College London, and but also trained as a um, psychiatrist, like like Mark Solms. Actually, yeah, <laughs> they, both, yeah. they both came out of psychiatry. It's too well um, pre 
two well uh, well developed people. <laughs> yeah, but then when it for this went task. Into, yeah, it went into neuroscience and um Carl Friston uh is uh um I imagine has a very a knack for math because he he uh does a lot of mathematical computational uh work. Um he um actually worked uh, didn't quite find his full biography but he actually worked with uh Gerald Edelman who we talked about in yeah. our, in that episode about the brain uh he mm -hmm. calls uh, Edelman one of his mentors and so we in that earlier episode which was episode 171 we made some of those dynamical connections that that um Gerald Edelman uh, put forward uh, the notions of neuronal groups um, yeah, and, uh, you know, the brain, the, the configuration of neurons relying heavily on the connections that that created essentially what we're calling self-organizing systems around neuronal groups, which mm -hmm. have not just going from sensory to motor, but sensory motor relations that as as a unit do do things in in the way that you know the kind of ways we've been talking about carl carl friston um you know worked built up from from that work which would have been in the um uh, 90s and he's currently um very i think he's one of the most highly cited uh authors for for a number of his papers um in in various aspects of neuroscience including computational um uh he's known for whatever the concepts he's known for promoting is the is the idea of free energy and we're, we can and um which is a another way of approaching what we've been calling um uh self-organization dynamics but approach from the point of view of, of what 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 is entropy um so classically uh we, we said that it, the more entropy uh a, a living system has the the more the closer it is to um basically dying having yeah. more of those those yeah. uh, destructive interactions that it can't adjust to yeah um, so it, broadly, you can look at entropy as, as a measure of the loss of ability to do useful work mm -hmm. in this sense, useful in the context of, of, you know, continuing to live, but also doing the various things needed to live. Mm -hmm. Um, so there, you could think of entropy as, um, as the kind of the, the, the average sense of the, of the number of states that the system can be in. Um, in order to, to survive and tolerate perturbations. Mm -hmm. um, but the more entropy means the more energy you're consuming and the more likely of likelihood of encountering de those destructive failures to adjust to perturbations. So so that's that's gives a sense of why systems have to, to have to export entropy or do things to get rid of it. Mm. Um, and so Friston and, and others have used this term free energy as a kind of a descriptive term for the amount of energy when you, you could you can almost calculate uh, within systems given enough information um, to talk about the average amount of um, energy and 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 uh, being devoted into um, dealing with perturbations. Mm. Um, so 
so ideally a, a well organ a well functioning uh organism would have um low energy most again meaning that it's predicted most of what might be able to handle a novel occurrence mm-hmm. um and we can think of that, about this in everyday life a lot of our brain is 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 functioning in that way so when mm-hmm. we go to sit down you know we've initially seen the chair we don't have to look at it anymore and we sit and it should ideally still be there mm-hmm. um and uh or you know animals will have their normal areas for finding food while they forage um and um so they can you know dedicate more of their attention to to um new things so the the concept of free energy is also one that kind of links to other concepts that maybe some people in the audience have have heard about such as basic information theory by um by shannon um which is which does work its way into some of the business literature um that uh you can think of information exchange as as uh, expressing um the amount of free energy in a way uh, mm-hmm. or a state of entropy of a system um so that uh basically as you encounter the world your course of action is trying to minimize information information is the newness the, the what's unique what what you wouldn't expect and you're tra- actually trying to deal with it um and you can even think about this in in uh, human conversation you know people speak to you it's information content in a, in a way is is solved by the work to understand it yeah um and kind of reduce what's not understood during the course of conversation Mm -hmm. um and and but also focus one's energies on um the topic and the problems at hand and 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 um not have to worry about the things that both parties should already know so anyway that that's one example of thinking about the interaction of different systems as as something like an information flow what information flow means it's you could think of it as these systems dealing with perturbations um adjusting their predictions to novelty um and uh and friston and our brothers have kind of modeled the brain and even lots of other systems along these these lines hmm. um and um especially especially um friston he's if you look on him look for him on youtube you'll see a number of uh, lectures he's done um talking about a lot of the computational aspects of this um you know that could that could deal with things like like um this information theory um certain statistic models even down to some basic physics um so to really talk about him i could go through a long series of equations oh don't please (laughs) (laughs) but since i don't understand the equations anyway we could just go with uh uh broad metaphor <laughs> which well, is about all i could do since i rudely interrupted you i do i am curious about one thing uh, why uh why have a compute computational analysis of of the brain what what is, what is he trying to discover with these numbers and crunching these numbers and i think um well in in, in one way in one sense um uh 
it's showing how computation isn't even the best word in many in in some ways because it it isn't quite like um you know d- digital computer computation right we're, we're dealing with with some different um dynamics but it does it is something that could be modeled in a way and i i would say um for me i i think what we've been talking about in the prior podcast about self-organization in the context of talk and, and, and social and action, and then getting into neurobiology, um, there's still a couple of holes and, and, and gaps that may not be important to anyone listening today, but at least they're important to me. Cause <laughs> and now therefore to me. <laughs> yeah. Because, um, and they do come up with with other discussions, even things like philosophy. Though there's a lot of um, uh, people who on on um, even you know fairly fairly well known philosophers and 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 uh, more scientific types speak, talking about things. Are are we living in a simulated universe? Or or yeah. as I talked about the last time, the hard problem of consciousness. So they're saying, well, you know. We can look at brain circuitry all we want. We'll never find consciousness. <laughs> um, and and one of the reasons is um, it has been kind of at, at at a more broader, almost metaphorical level, like we talked about Gerald Edelman his neuronal groups. You know, mm-hmm. he tried to model it somewhat in, in his students and people he worked with. But, but now I think we're getting more into, into the finer points um and i think friston has, has um contributed a lot to that to the point where for example i've been saying that when you have the kind of uh self-organizing uh sets of connections that mark solms talked about and he says this generates subjective awareness Mm-hmm. Now, now, what is that? It's from. It still looks like a bunch of neurons firing. How's that subjective awareness? Yeah. Um, it's until you get into some of these dynamics and some of the details of the math and and things like that, where if if we trust he's got it right, other people think he does, then we are saying more, almost moment time moment. Here, here is the functionality by here's here's the function by which something in effect becomes an observer of itself something by this objective yeah 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 because in order to account to to the dynamic connections of all of all these things you have something like the the uh the parts of a system acting upon uh themselves as though they were a whole as though they were observing themselves as though they were observing the environment to move towards that we i'll get into another important um one other important uh concept that um friston um talked about which is the um the idea of a markov blanket um so it's getting chilly heading into december we're going to pull uh pull up a Mar- markov blanket that that will explain a lot of these fill in several of these gaps about how how all this works so um so by markov we're referring to uh mathematician andre markov who did a lot of his work um towards the end of the uh um 19th century um there's known 
for his work on stoichiatric processes. For some reason, most of these talks we do keep ending up into walks down memory lane from my past research, um, yeah. where I was when I was um, uh, researching the um, the social bond and the bond threat sequence. Um, I brought in. Um, some Markov probability statistics to look at how how um, sequences of actions fit together in ways that um, you can calculate as being uh, more common than by chance. So I was proposing hmm. a um, what I call a social bond threat sequence where someone experiences, someone uh, uh, talks about something that has to do with a threat to their social relationship or social bond mm -hmm. they immediately display um uh some of the characteristic gestures associated with shame or embarrassment yeah and then in the next turn of talk they do something to repair that shame um and i looked at this as as i broke it down into into parts and and did this markov chain analysis to show that that relationship was significant, statistically significant, because yeah. um, it's very good for for looking at sequences. Yeah. Um, what well, luckily I didn't I didn't know at the time would have added another year to my master's thesis is oh, understanding, understanding Markov blankets because that that that's probably, another another year of studying Markov. Yeah, blankets. and it's that was probably more of what what that's possibly more of the phenomenon I'm looking at as explained with, with by that rather than a, a, a simple relational sequence of, of things going together. Um, so w where the Markov uh, blanket fits in, let's see if we applied it to that notion of the bond threat sequence, we'd have social bond threat, the gesture of shame some action to repair the threat. We could also add to it, who is it who's doing that work? Who is it experiencing? Um, you know, what's the internal organization doing that work? And rather than just the epiphenomenon, the the outer uh, appearance of right. having a sequence, right. um, the uh, the Markov blanket. It's it's, an, it's a it's a. I mean, I won't go too deep into the whole mathematics of it, but basically, the idea is that you have. Um, something that's essentially self-organizing as an internal relationship of parts. Mm -hmm. It has it. What it does is creates a, a particular sort of dynamical boundary between what's what's relevant to itself and what's part of the environment. Mm -hmm. And you can break that down into some of the component actions, in, in which basically the boundary is made up of of what what they call parents. And the internal parts are children yeah. and are called children. And the dynamic relationship is, is between um, is one in which only the parents interact with us with the outside world. So they're kind of a sensory input area. The children are, are the ones actively feeding um, signals out to the parents. And the, so the, so the, so there's an interaction between children and parents, the parents being in the boundary, mm -hmm. the dynamical boundary, only the parents are receiving uh, input. The, the, the interaction between the 
children and parents becomes um, kind of a sensory motor relationship, but it's not one in which the children get direct sensory input. They get something that's that's been um, uh, filtered, essentially. Filtered and buffered, yeah. And, yeah. and there's your blanket, right? <laughs> there's your blanket. And so it's almost like that Plato's notion of the cave where people yeah. are chained to the wall and see only the shadows. Yeah. Um, as a representation of the world. And what this does is it works, it works well. And there's some other additional parts like the children of parents or parents of child, or I, I never quite understood all of it, but I think I'm, rough, I'm roughly getting the sense of what it means. Yeah. So, because um, you get, so you have this internal self-organizing system, you have it presenting to a world in which it's, it's, it's mostly focusing on what's relevant Mm-hmm. And in that way, constructing constructing a world that isn't that doesn't have to represent anything. It could just kind of deal with what's bumping against the top of the blanket. Yeah, that, that the parent systems are dealing with. Um, and so on that on that kind of the surface of the blanket, you have something that's kind of a um, uh, what, what's the term? Kind of a um, can be described almost as as. In statistical terms, um, you bring in um, the mathematics of, of Bayesian, um, Bayesian formulas or something for 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 describing that relationship, and internally you're looking, uh, you you are using other mathematics. So, but basically, it it um, it works. That's that also becomes the way you start uh, describing what it means to have a predictive system a, a, a model of predictions and error signals um that are adjusting to novel perturbations in the world in the way that we've we've been describing yeah. here in, in the last podcast yeah um so and and some other features too is that you can think of these markov blankets as being associated in assembly so markov blankets interact with other markov blankets in a very particular way that that becomes um, uh, coupled, usually coupled together in it, so that all the parts can make new global, bigger Markov blankets. Uh, so, you know, Fantastic. So, yeah, which is clear. You know, we've talked about that for self-organizing systems. The cells yeah. interact, they make, yeah. they make tissues, they make, um, um, and then the, the neurons are, our systems on top of that and they have the whole body and the body interacts with other people and lives in the world. Mm-hmm. So, so this at least gives, gives a, some more, um, uh, math and possibility of, of doing some more detail on how all that works. Um, but it, it also fills in some of those blanks on, on, um, how you can think of, uh, global properties, all right emerging from the combination of it of the parts like like, In, a, team, like a team a marriage yeah or, or a body, so, body made of cells everything like that some of our social ent- entities as we call them could be yeah and also given that these are are dynamics description of dynamics that we're not just talking about cells we're talking about any kind of relationship that has this parents to child, a child of parents, or basically this this blanket between the world and and what's being 
and how it's being uh, interacted with. You mm -hmm. can think about Markov blankets of parts that are at a distance. So not just cells not bouncing against, mm -hmm. against each other, but things like potentially things like talk that we've been looking at for social inaction. Yeah. Where we have, um, you know, people with their own two people with their own conscious experiences using using language. Um, they have to use the same language and mostly in the same way, mostly um, having had a similar history of having learned what what the meanings of words are in order for it to work mm -hmm. um, in that in the, in a way that's kind of the um, the uh, I guess we could think of that as kind of the the boundaries of the world that we would be presenting to each other um as we talk we're kind of experiencing the meaning of what people say um as putting together these expected predicted features of the sounds of words what the words mean what the immediate context of the conversation is mm -hmm. while focusing our energy on something very particular what one can do about it you know, choices yeah. one should make it, um, uh, um, you know what the implications for actions how one continues the action in order to to move it forward um so in in this sense i think we can s maybe start to think of what we've been talking about with social action as as perhaps uh bringing forth these components of, of, a, of a Markov blanket interaction mm -hmm. um, rather than just having two people who are themselves, um, you know, self-organizing entities mm -hmm. um, uh, interacting, but the interaction being something else, not itself um, having this sort of self-organizing Markov blanket type uh, mm -hmm. uh feature so i that, that's kind of wandering into where that's 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 where, where i'd like to explore next but yeah um i mean we talked about this a little bit with mark mark's on the episode about mark solmes and thinking about the conscious george herbert mead's act as as a um a, as the conscious act the conscious experience act but one that has a sense of of um um emerging as a kind of entity with the impulse being dealt with um, through sensory motor relationships and coming to a consummation in order to deal with the original impulse as mm -hmm. as kind of this um, uh, um, this almost entity like organization that's basically a, a bunch of neurons firing but one that also is dealing systematically with the real environment that one is manipulating Mm -hmm. um and uh so it, it may not be too much of a stretch to to at least explore how language and the way we've been approaching it with with these moment-to-moment -moment analysis of 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 how talk is put together as being more similar to these um self-organization dynamics than what might traditionally be thought of as as a more simple information exchange or yeah you know older older notions of what of what the conversation is 
So there's a whole lot more going on. And these authors that you have helped us listen about uh, are giving us some language and some insights and some tools to say what is going on that that doesn't necessarily meet meet the eye. But I'm listening, and, and I hated to interrupt you, but I, I've just said, kind of bring it to a point that I'm hearing is it keeps coming back to predicting mm -hmm. and novelty mm -hmm. and then energy to deal with novelty mm -hmm. and adjustment so so that you, you don't want to use your entire supply of energy unless it's a huge threat but so you're trying to conserve that that energy uh, and so it's ready when you really need it. Yeah. Focusing on what's relevant, what's relevant. And then you put it into the blanket situation. I've got a blanket, you got a blanket. We, we, uh, yeah, we are in our own worlds in that sense. Yeah. So we pull the blankets <laughs> over us in a way. And then, and we can talk as the, as the child part of this, we can talk with more freedom with, with, with less distraction, if you will. So that gives us a chance to focus on the, what is in the moment because yeah, we're, we're or, kind of protected by our parent blanket. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. And all the complex processes that are required to, for the miracle of speech to be understood are yeah. largely behind the scenes. And, and what we have are, are these little, um, the impressions that are, that are, um, being presented to maybe that little part of us that has that that uh, activity down in the brainstem that Mark Soames talks about, mm -hmm. um, uh, punching it up into this stream of which we are, for example, talking to ourselves, thinking to ourselves, but even how the act of speech itself is um, creating that subjective experience. I mean, where does it come from? when yeah. we talk to ourselves it's it's even it's, it's one that uh, the other aspect i like to explore is is uh, uh i think gerald adelman talked a little bit about this we talked about largely what mark Solms was talking about was kind of a primary consciousness mm -hmm. conscious that other animals share but there's something special about talk about being able to talk to ourselves and being able to talk to others that kind of almost experientially seems like a little bit different like where that we're are the part of us that talks to ourselves is kind of commenting on the rest of our awareness that we're mm -hmm. consciously aware of, but it seems different. It seems separate. And maybe the countering the, the, what it is that gives it that separateness in part are some of these dynamics in which there's something special about social, what we're calling social inaction, that it is its own next level of organization. That's not, shared as as complexly as as it is for other animals that just have you know their calls and their their more simple social social interactions right um so that's you know that's what i might try to venture into maybe see ask ask the <laughs> carl friston and mark Solms if anyone's done this yet <laughs> that they know of with with language and do a I have a feeling not many people have. Um, no, because you looked at conversation yeah. analysis for your, yeah. your dissertation and many of your studies. And, and even then, I think you had the experience that uh, something is ordinary, if you will, of talking to each other, which you could which you could record and 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 lay out and show people moment to moment how 
words affect people is you know it's it's so and maybe it's it's so ordinary that it should not it should be looked at as something extraordinary which is yeah. what your your work does and what you're saying about these folks are saying you know we we're we're we we think there's something a whole lot more magnificent going on in order for us to even form words and and, and say them to each other because once they're said to another then it starts creating an, this kind of equal this balancing act if you will yeah and and you know now we're in a in sort of a uh we're energized and and we we don't want to have the whole world coming ahead at us in these moments and so we kind of blanketed and and so you draw from someone who came up with that idea a hundred years ago and yeah it's, but it's wonderful yeah and, and conversation analysis is is a good example of a, of a of a methodology that's not common for linguistics where they have found some very interesting organizations um patterns and um um ways of doing things that that are very systematic and yet they they um traditionally have not wanted to think about brains or or even um systems dynamics um because they are too busy trying to keep keep a, a pure focus on on the dynamics themselves but i think yeah. it's time you know 50 it's been some 50 years since that perspective was put together i think it's time to start integrating um, yes with some yes. of these other ideas yes and especially now there has been so much progress in in um how to think how to think of that because 50 years ago there was that clear disjunct between conversation and models of the brain that didn't really fit even how you know harvey sachs when uh, and and was originally thinking looking at conversation when you look at it closely because mm -hmm. it does have these living dynamics that are there that, that didn't meet the old you know brain circuitry model but now they now they can see two, it yeah, yeah now those two should be able to come together more clearly yeah um and that's the work of the of the particularly of the two folks that you've had us focus on mm -hmm. Soames and and Frisker and and Friston Friston Carl Friston <laughs> we've only uh, we, we've got uh only a few more minutes and then we're going to do part three after this because you got me you got me going and and I think what we're hearing listener is Dave's practice and it, as well as he is stitching together weaving together is a better word uh in order to help me and therefore listeners get an idea of what's going on in his mind right now and uh it's it, and it's basically influenced by some really uh powerful readings <laughs> You know, there's a thousand, thousand readings. And a lot of YouTubes, too. <laughs> and YouTube. Been putting, they've been putting together these great, because of probably because of COVID, there's a lots of great lectures now from, from these and, and other authors on, on YouTube. <laughs> and and that's a good thing, because mm -hmm. it, it's it's an efficient way um, and holds our attention and it gets, gets the word through mm -hmm. much better than trying to turn page after page. The point, though, yep. is that there are some really um important ideas that are out there being generated and to the extent we can bring them in 
and put them up against what is social inaction and why does it matter to those of us particularly who are in practice mm -hmm. that's what we're working on yeah and I'll, I'll i can kind of close by coming back to our definitions of social inaction yeah. um which we had three three kind of dictionary meanings of of an action is, is to perform performance a a domain brought forth a domain in which performance occurs and and then warranting uh almost a law-like in a law-like way um uh how how that domain was brought forth uh, it, it, with this with action so we could think of that if we were to define that in terms of markov blankets we can we could think of performance as this this self-organizing activity defining a particular stage the particular mm -hmm. audience that is really only that surface of the blanket, <laughs> what's impinging yeah. uh, in those moments. And, and this is bringing forth that particular domain of the social and mm -hmm. shared understanding what that means um, and what kind of action, action sustains that mm -hmm. moment to moment. And it's one largely again of, of prediction and, and adjusting to, to um, what, what wasn't predicted and what was novel. Mm -hmm. And with with repair activity and in conversation analysis, you can see systematically what what is a repair, what is how does yeah. that work, um, yeah. and even the emotions behind it. Yeah. And then and then and so and and also it has that sense of warranting, having that that um, sense of requiring that internal integrity, kind of the inside the child parts of of the mm -hmm. of the blanket, because it has to, when that when that. Um, when that self-organization is being sustained it's almost has to be made law-like something persistent something that's going to work in the future yeah turn yeah. into practice yeah it's in i think words like agreement like uh, uh commitment like uh and, and those are sort of superficial but at the lowest level is when when i encounter that a, a person the next time with whom I formed the, with whom I have created this domain, uh, we've we've already established quite a bit uh, that we're essentially warranting. We, we don't have to rediscuss then how we're going to look at each other, how we're going to listen to each other, how all that stuff. Our brain doesn't have to pour a lot of energy into into that as a novel situation. Mm -hmm. We therefore then can take resume uh, activity and take it to a higher level does that right. make, make sense yeah yeah i think so yeah and uh so it's the difference between you know standing at a bus stop and saying how are you doing and the other person says fine and you know that's that's it but if if you really wanted to see that person each time at the bus stop and pretty soon you 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 know who each other is and mm -hmm. you know you can really get into something a little more or a lot more meaty Right. And I think that's what we <laughs> want is people to get to a point where they're free, free, feeling free to um, build, build the social social bonds, build the bonds and, and therefore be able to have richer and better ideas. Mm -hmm. So, well, there's more to learn. And so this is this we're calling this part two, but I I'm already committed in the budget to part three <laughs> okay well i gotta figure out some 
I might have to actually sit and write and think rather than just listen to YouTubes and try to parrot them out. So we'll see. What <laughs> you I, do a damn good job happens. of it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, thank you so much, Dave, for for your uh, being able to be quick and candid about this stuff. It's it, you know you. I don't give you the luxury of being able to work too much off notes, even though you, I know you have them. I, it's just as well. And and, and so in a nice way, in a nice way, we, we are uh, constantly working on our own organization of of this conversation. So we will have another. Maybe the next one of the next times we'll be at a microphone will be in person at Christmas when you guys really? come, come up from Baltimore. So that'd yep. be fun. That'd be fun. OK. <laughs> Thanks again, Dave. Thanks for listening to the Practice Podcast, where we discuss practice with a capital P. If you'd like to hear more, listen in on Spotify, Automatic, and Apple Podcasts, or go to inactionresearch.com slash podcasts page. And if you'd like to learn more about social inaction and the nature of practice, head over to inactionresearch.com for more information. Thank you for supporting this show. We look forward to hearing from you soon.